Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12, verse 11 down to verse 17. And if you cast your mind back to last week, you will remember that in our last study we saw that God wonderfully and miraculously rescued Peter by sending an angel and setting him free. And Peter knew that only the Lord could have done that. So in Acts chapter 12 and verse 11, it commences that with, when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel. Last week then, we left Peter standing in a street after the angel had gone. Uh, the angel is gone, and now we see the sequel to the fascinating story of Peter's escape. And that's where we're going to continue for a few moments this evening. I've worked really hard to get all the points of this sermon in alliteration. Took me ages. Took me longer getting the points into alliteration and took me to write the sermon nearly. Had to change it over and over again. Got Peter's destination. And Peter's debarment. Finally, Peter's debriefing. You admit that took some work. Peter's destination is seen in verse 12. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So Peter's now on the dark street, and he's time to think. He considered the thing. He has just been released miraculously from prison. He's now a jailbreaker. He's out in the street. He's got to consider his options. What would he do? What would you do? What would people do if they had been released from prison? Well, many people ask what they would do when they're finally released from a jail sentence. We'll tell you, of course, that they want to spend time with their family. Or they want to um, go out and have a night out or seek accommodation somewhere. But Peter hadn't just been released. He'd been, he had escaped. What would you do if you'd just escaped? Way back in the 80s, uh, I was assigned to a church in rural County Down, in the town of Donnacloney. I was there for a very short time. Um, but we had settled in with the children into Donnacloney um, about a couple of weeks when the news came on BBC Radio that there had been a mass escape from the Mays prison. Some of you might remember that. And certain people had escaped, and they were roaming free across the countryside. And, of course, we were immediately concerned about this. We had young children at the time. I had a history of um, being in the RUC, and there we were, right in the path, uh, right in the trajectory of any maze escaper who would be seeking to flee inevitably across the border. Because that's te- what, what they tended to do, isn't it? 
when they escape from a prison, you go somewhere where you won't be caught. And for those prisoners, it would be going across the border. It was a worrying evening. Thankfully, we didn't see any of them. I would say their jailbreak was well organized, to say the least. Peter thought about this. Peter is standing considering the thing. And his conclusion, of course, is not that he will run away or seek refuge or cross the border into a place where Herod doesn't have jurisdiction. His very first instinct is that he should go to the church. That's a lesson for us. It should be our very first instinct in every circumstance. When we are in times of trouble, when we need support or help, we ought to seek the company of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that church where I was telling you about a moment ago, there was a time shortly after I was there when one of the people who were attending the church had passed away and we'd had the funeral. And the following Sunday, there was a good number of people who were related to him in the congregation, and they didn't come to church, and they were conspicuous by their absence. So I said to someone, where's all the family of this man who passed away? And they looked at me as though I was not quite well. And they said, but don't you know, after a bereavement, you don't go to church for three weeks. That must be a country tradition down that part of the world. I would have thought that if you'd suffered a loss, you'd had a time of hardship, something had gone wrong in life, and your very first uh, instinct should be to seek the help of your family, your Christian family, the family of God, the Lord's people, to come together. Now, we've already seen that this was while Peter was in prison, the church was praying. And so it was that when Peter arrived at the place where the church was, that there was a prayer meeting taking place. I pay very careful attention always to the text, for the accurate details given are what makes this part of the narrative so historically interesting and smacks greatly of authenticity. We're told that many were gathered praying. It was the dead of the night, remember. And many are praying, many are there. So we can gather that there's a passion for prayer. We can gather that there's a love for Peter, there's a concern. There's an all-night prayer meeting taking place. I wonder what it would be like. Well, it would be an organized meeting, wouldn't it? The fact was that Peter knew exactly where to go. It would tend to suggest that this was a venue where the church often met. It was the home of a woman called Mary, we are told. And that was a common name in the New Testament. There were many Marys. But this Mary was the mother of John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. So she must have been the sister of Barnabas, the pastor of Antioch. Must have been a large house, for it had a courtyard and a room big enough for a large gathering to enter. That seems to be common in the early church before we had buildings like this. And one couple in particular were noted for the church that met in their home um, in 1 Corinthians, for example, 1 Corinthians 16 and 19. 
It says the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you with the church that is in their home. And that's repeated over and over again in Colossians and 1 Corinthians and Philemon and Romans. Uh, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my brother, my helpers in Christ. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, nowadays, of course, we don't normally meet in homes. At least not in countries like ours where it's safe to meet. But our homes, to be sure, ought to be like little churches, shouldn't they? They should be places of worship. Places of safety and prayer for our families where they are shielded from the accesses of the world. Places where God is reverenced and glorified, where his name is not taken in vain. An organized meeting. But it would also, of course, be a dangerous meeting, wouldn't it? Because it was a large gathering. And it was meeting in the city in the dead of the night, right under the very gaze of the authorities in places where the church is under threat, and we think of lands uh, like China and North Korea and the communist countries, we think of the Muslim countries, places where the church is under threat, people worry that perhaps their own neighbours and even their own family might report them to the authorities and have them arrested. That big prayer meeting was a ready-made target for Herod. Of course, we know that they would have divine protection. We remember Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, where Jesus said, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Organized meeting. Dangerous meeting, enthusiastic meeting. They continued in prayer. You know, they didn't just mention Peter in passing. They did it over and over and over again. Jesus taught his disciples about the importance of persistence in prayer. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, he says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Uh, And I'm sure that as the time of Peter's proposed execution drew ever closer that that prayer would have been even more fervent. It was an organized, dangerous, enthusiastic meeting. It was a well-rewarded meeting for Peter came to them while they were still praying. They had an immediate answer to their prayer. Matthew Henry wrote here, It was as if God should say, You are praying that Peter may be restored to you. Now here he is. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Peter's destination being released from the prison by divine intervention was to go to church. But then we see Peter's debarment. And this is one of the most touching and most human aspects of the story. 
And again, a story that speaks volumes about biblical authenticity. It's just typical human nature being relayed here, to be totally amazed by what God does in his grace and his love for his people. These believers have been spending so much time in prayer for Peter. These people know that he can't escape without divine intervention. What have they been saying in those prayers? I wonder, have they been praying that the Lord would graciously give Peter courage as he faces his certain death? Or have they been praying that the Lord would ease Peter's pain as the cruel blade strikes him again and again? Have they been standing up and praying that the Lord would take away all his fear as he reaches this end of his life. That the Lord would care for his family after he is gone. Have they been asking that the Lord would enable Peter by his example and his courage and his spiritual demeanour to be a good witness to the other prisoners, to the guards, perhaps even to share a word of testimony or a piece of scripture with them. All of those would be very worthy prayers and they're prayers that we would all pray. And I wonder though were how many of them when praying for his deliverance really thought for one moment that their prayer would actually be effective. Now I'm only asking that because of their response when Peter actually arrived at the prayer meeting. And he stands at the gate which no doubt is locked for security reasons. Well, that gate would lead to a courtyard, and the courtyard would lead to the house. So the Bible is very specific. He knocked the door of the gate. He wasn't knocking the door of the house. He was knocking the door of the gate. And a damsel, the Bible tells us, a girl called Rhoda, comes to see who is outside in verse 13. As Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. The word Rhoda means a rose. And she's described in the King James Version as a damsel, or in the New King James Version as a girl, or in the NIV as a servant. The Greek text uh, is a derivative of paidai, a child, a young female person, not a baby, not a young adult. I'm thinking probably a girl around 13. And probably a servant or a slave girl because only a slave girl or a servant would be answering the door in a big house. That would be a menial job. So she would have been a young girl, very young, answering the door. And yet a girl who knew Peter's voice. So Rhoda must have often been in Christian company. And because she had been familiar with the prayer meeting topics that day, she must have been in the prayer meeting as well. She was glad to hear Peter's voice. So we must surmise that she too was a Christian believer. So verse 13, Peter knocked to the door of the gate. A damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice... She opened not the gate. The gate was barred, you see. 
So Rhoda gets to the gate, and whoever is on the other side of that gate is knocking very loudly, and probably knocking very quickly. When you hear someone knocking urgently like that, you know there's something really badly wrong. Is it another Christian believer in trouble who needs help or shelter? Or, or is it the police? sent by Herod to break up the meeting and arrest the people attending. That would be a serious matter indeed. So Rhoda won't open the door immediately. She waits and she hears the voice of the person knocking. A voice. It sounds just like Peter. Verse 14. She knew Peter's voice. She must know it very well. She was really glad to hear the voice. And she was so glad to hear Peter's voice that she forgot actually to open the gate and let him in. I can see that happening. Knowing children around 13 or 12 years of age, I can see that happening. So excited to hear Peter's voice that she actually thinks, I'm going to go and tell everybody. And she ran up the stairs to the prayer meeting. And meanwhile, the Christians are still praying when Rhoda arrives into the room. Now, I want you to put yourself into that room for a minute. I want you to imagine that you are inside that room. And the prayers are being made. And I want you to think it's nowadays. And I've invented a Christian for that room. I'm going to call him Brother Skepticus. And he's up in the room and he's praying like mad. And he's on his feet, and he's got his hands clenched, and he's saying, Lord, we just bring our brother Peter before you right now, Lord. He's facing the worst moment of his life, Lord. And we pray, Lord, if you would just set him free, Lord, and break his yoke of bondage, Lord, and restore him to his family, Lord. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you all the glory and all the honor. I've been to meetings like that, haven't you? So Rhoda comes in, just as his prayer is reaching its crescendo, and she grabs the sleeve of the man at the door, and she says, Peter's outside. Can you imagine the man? Shh! Brother Skepticus is praying. Have you no respect? Have you no respect at all? Don't be so irreverent. If you have something to say, wait outside until the meeting's over. No, you haven't got this. Peter is outside. Don't you see that even as they are praying, their prayer is answered, and they are reluctant to believe that the Lord answers their prayers even though their prayer is continuous in the middle of the night, enthusiastic prayer. In fact, in verse 15, it said, They said unto her, Thou art mad. Oh, you're not even, you're just imagining it. How could Peter be out? Sure, we're here praying for Peter, that the Lord will release him from prison. How could he be outside? How could he be? But she persisted. She persisted. And she constantly affirmed that it was even so. 
And they said, as if to confirm their, their skepticism in the effectiveness of their prayer, they said, it is his angel. He's died already. So I must have brought his execution forward. And he's died. And his angel's outside. But Peter continued knocking. By now the noise of the knocking must have been reaching up into the room. By now the person who was praying probably had ceased and the girl's voice was being heard. How often do we pray? I'm saying this for a reason. How often do I pray in the name of the Lord and I don't really anticipate that God is going to answer my prayers? There's a promise in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 65 and verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Eventually, for whatever reason, they decide to go and open the door. And there was Peter. And when they saw him, verse 16, they were astonished. My goodness, God really does answer prayer. Isn't that amazing? Who'd have thought it? I called this sermon Amazed by Grace. God sets a captive free and we're amazed at what the Lord can do. Lastly, we have Peter's debriefing. I think there must have been a lot of shocked chatter when Peter walked into the prayer meeting that evening. The prayer meeting maybe came to an abrupt end. There may even have been a stunned silence, I don't know. And then a sudden outbreak of loud noise and chatter. And we see another one of those little accuracies that occurs in the biblical text. Peter, it says in verse 17, beckoning onto them with the hand to hold their peace Peter raising his hand and calling for silence in the, in the room so he can tell the church what has happened. Let's see what he says. He gives testimony of the Lord's deliverance. He declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. What a thrilling testimony that must have been. Oh, the wonderful things that the Lord has done for us and the joy that we have when we share those great acts of deliverance with other believers. And he reports to the church elders, go and show these things unto James and to the brethren. Actually, the mention of James here is significant. James is one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church now, holding a prominent position. He was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, the younger son of Mary, the natural son of Joseph. 
And during the earthly ministry of Jesus, James was skeptical of his half-brother. In John 7 and verse 3 to 5, it says his brothers said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For even his brothers did not believe in him. In Mark 3 and 21, uh, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. But now in Acts, James is not just a Christian. He's a church leader, an elder. He's presiding at the church council. And a little bit later in Acts 15, what has happened? The answer, of course, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, where Paul says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And in verse 7, and after that he was seen by James. James the skeptic has met the risen Christ. And that's a life-changing experience. The power of the cross changes lives. Peter's debriefing. He told the people in the prayer meeting, of how the Lord had delivered him. He told the elders of the church. Finally, he exercised some common sense, for he departed and went into another place. Without bravado, Peter simply left town. It was a sensible thing to do. Herod was livid. You'll see in the two last verses, in verse 18 and 19, two last verses that we read together, that when Herod found that he was gone, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. More of that next week. Peter sought sanctuary elsewhere. So Peter is safe. And he's been delivered. And we have been challenged to pray, believing that the Lord will answer our prayers, never to be afraid to share our own personal stories of the Lord's great deliverance, encouraged to be amazed at what the grace of God can achieve, even in the life of the most ardent unbeliever. This chapter is not just about Peter, sure it's not. It's about Peter's arch foe, Herod Agrippa I. And so next week when we meet together, we'll see a little bit more about Herod and his awful death. And how the Lord always executes his judgment his time.